Welcome to a Bible study on the upcoming Sunday Gospel. This is a recording that I do of a weekly Monday night Bible study every Monday night at 7.30 at St. Timothy Catholic Church in Laguna Niguel. If you're interested in joining us live, please email me and let me know or just show up in person. We'd love to have you. But without further ado, enjoy this recording of a Bible study on the upcoming Sunday Gospel. And let us begin together in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of this day, this community, this time together. And Lord, ultimately, we just lay this time at your feet. We know that you are constantly speaking to us, constantly reaching out to us, and seeking after us. And so we pray, Lord, that we would be able to stop in this next hour and to listen, to receive and to hear your words of comfort answers to the questions that we are asking, ways in which we need healing or direction, guidance, whatever it may be, Lord, help us to be attentive to how you're speaking and how your spirit is moving. And so we invite your Holy Spirit to be present in us and among us. Come Holy Spirit tonight and be with us as we dive into your word. Bless each one of us in the ways that we most need it, as well as those who are still on their way and those who could not be here tonight, all those who will be watching later on or listening. We pray, Lord, that all of this would bear fruit in each one of our lives. We pray this in your most precious name, Jesus. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome back, or welcome for the first time. So good to have you. Uh, my name is Matt, if I haven't met you before. Wonderful to have you here. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13 tonight. Matthew 5, 13. And we're just reading 13 through 16. Short passage. So we'll probably read this three times. Okay? So... <laughs> First time through, uh, we're going to just listen to what's being said. So remember where we started last week. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' most famous sermon in all of Scripture. It's the longest. It's Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And he's uh, on a mount or in a hilly area near the Sea of Galilee, speaking to crowds, the Pharisees. Uh, his disciples are there. Sadducees are there. Lots of different groups of people are there. Scribes. Uh, and all these people who will be interacting with throughout the course of this sermon. And last week we had the beginning of the sermon, which was the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the they who mourn, all of those. So we're picking up right where we left off in verse uh, 13. So Matthew 5, 13, first time through, just uh, get a picture for Jesus preaching. What do you notice? What do you hear? What stands out to you? You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its taste, with what can it be seasoned? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city set on a mountain cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and then put it under a bushel basket. It is set on a lampstand where it gives light to all in the house. Just so, your light must shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your heavenly Father. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So, we've heard the words. Now, second time through, I invite you to pay even more attention to the words as they are read. And this time, listen for a particular word or phrase that might stand out just for you. 
Okay, it doesn't have to have anything to do with the passage itself. It could just resonate with something going on in your life. It might spark a memory, a thought out of nowhere. Take that as a sign that the Lord is trying to speak to you through that word or phrase. So let's listen attentively to the words the second time through. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its taste, with what can it be seasoned? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city set on a mountain cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and then put it under a bushel basket. It is set on a lampstand where it gives light to all in the house. Just so, your light must shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your heavenly Father. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So as we look back over this, I'm going to read it one final time, since it's a shorter passage, just to confirm the things that stood out to you or to allow you to listen even further if nothing's really resonating with you just yet. So one final time, Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its taste, with what can it be seasoned? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city set on a mountain cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and then put it under a bushel basket. It is set on a lampstand, where it gives light to all in the house. Just so, your light must shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your heavenly Father. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So, I invite you to reflect back on this passage and the things that stood out to you, any details that resonated with you, thoughts that were inspired, questions that arose, and I invite you to take about the next 10 minutes or so, share those with us if you're listening or watching later, but for those of us here, share those at your tables. What stood out to you? What questions do you have? And then we'll draw it back to the larger group for discussion. If you're at a smaller table, feel free to combine with another so you have more people to chat with, but otherwise, I'll call you back in about 10 minutes. All right. What are some of the things that are standing out, questions that you have about this passage? Yes, sir. If you uh, take a look at that first paragraph. Yeah. So the whole thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It doesn't leave a lot of hope for second chances there. Doesn't leave a lot of hope for second chances. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if salt is, is uh, what does it say? Salt loses its taste, so it will be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Yeah, serious stakes. Yeah. Other things stand out? Yes. So the fact that, like, here it says your good deeds need to shine forth before others, mm -hmm. but then the beginning of next chapter says don't do good deeds so that others may see them. Mm -hmm. So that was something else we discussed. Yes, it that seems like... Seeming like, you know, contradiction. Yes, so... When Jesus is talking in Matthew 6, he's criticizing, he talks about prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. It's one of the places in Scripture we get all three of those together. With Lent coming up, that's just a little Lent is coming up, alarm bell. That should be going off in the back of your mind. Start thinking about that. Uh, but 
uh, he specifically points out, like, look at all of the Pharisees or the ways that those who try and boast of the way that they pray, the way they give alms, the way that they fast. Do not do these things out in the way in public that they do. Do them so only your heavenly Father can see in secret. And yet here, Jesus is saying, you know, shine, let your good deeds be seen by others. The difference is in the last line. Just so your light may shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your heavenly Father. That's the difference. Because in Matthew 6, he's talking about the deeds glorifying self. And so there's a difference that if we really exude what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, if we really have that joy, if we're really doing good deeds for the sake of charity and not for the sake of self-assurance and appearing good before others, then we will be glorifying God. And so it's a good litmus test for the Christian life anytime we're doing something. Is this seeking to glorify God or to glorify myself? Am I leading other people closer to Jesus or am I leading them closer to this idea of me as a very holy person? That's something we all have to be on guard against. You know, the devil, we see this in a screw tape letter. C.S. Lewis writes about this. The devil would be far more served with a lot of Christians staying in the church than leaving the church. Because if they're in the church, it's a lot easier for them to just distort what it means to be church and lead others closer to themselves or become very scrupulous, become very self-focused, become very focused on, look at me and how holy I am versus trying to get everyone to completely leave. It's much more subtle and sinister temptation that the devil has for us, but it's so much easier for us to fall into if we're not careful. So that's the difference, glorifying God versus glorifying self. Other things stand out or questions about this passage? Matt. Um, our table was talking a lot about faith and works, and I, it wasn't until like the very end where I realized when he's talking about the soldiers, here, talking about how like, we need to basically keep ourselves salty. Keep ourselves salty, and, yes. But I see it's like we need to actually like work at, like it seems like we have to work at like, you know, our work. Mm-hmm. Like, but then in contrast, it seems like the light, you know, it's more about like glorifying God. And it's mm-hmm. So like, I think it's pretty cool because like, these two kissing analogies they seem like they contradict each other, but then I think it perfectly exemplifies like faith and works, how they work together. Yeah. And I think a lot of the, the, the ways where there's a distinction between faith and works, like you see this in Romans, um, where uh, there's criticism of faith apart from works of the law. And works of the law are specifically things people would do associated with the Jewish law to make themselves look very good and holy. But... In James chapter 2, this is the only place in Scripture where the word faith alone is used. And so if there's other Christians who believe that you can only be saved by faith alone, this is the only place in the whole Bible the phrase faith alone appears. And it says, see how a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So it's mentioned in the negative. In fact, it says earlier, uh, this is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, James 2.20, Do you want proof, you ignoramus, that faith without works is useless? I mean, talk about salty, James. Like, you know, so it's true. We need both, but it needs to come from the proper place. And works do not earn our salvation. They do not earn our way to heaven. Okay, our initial justification, that's what it's called. Why we are justified before God is because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. But the ongoing process of justification from that point forward, we have to live up to that commitment. It's the same way when two people get married, 
there's that offering of someone to someone else. And I can't control whether or not the other person's going to offer themselves to me. I control my end. But once we come together, I now have to live differently. And whether or not I am living appropriately or living up to my vows, I'm going to be judged based on whether or not this marriage is working, whether or not I'm living up to the vows I've made. The same thing is true in the Christian life. That once we respond to Jesus and accept that free gift of salvation through baptism, then we need to live up to that by honoring our end of the commitment. And that has to do with making good works. But again, not to glorify self, but to glorify God the Father. And so pay attention to these two things that are highlighted here, salt and light. Think about those two things. Salt and light do nothing for themselves. Salt and light do nothing for themselves. They're always to offer to everything else around them some benefit. So for instance, salt. My wife will tell you, I'm like like neurotic about seasoning food. I used to be a chef. And so like, if there's not salt in something at a restaurant, like if I, it just bothers me when people don't season their food anywhere. So like I season sometimes too much, but I like, you know, it's just the thing about salt is it will draw out the flavor. Okay. So like in, when you're, when you're learning seasonings, um, you know, in the kitchen, they would tell us with salt and pepper, um, salt enhances flavor, pepper adds flavor. Okay, salt enhances flavor. So what salt will do, if you make a really good dish, it will enhance it and bring out the flavor. If you make something terrible, salt is going to make it taste more terrible. It's going to enhance the flavor that is already there, okay? But it does nothing for itself. Okay, it does nothing for itself. People are like, oh, that's why that recipe's not working. So, okay, light, the same thing. You know, light doesn't light itself. It brings light to everything around it. And it shows where there is still areas of darkness. It illumines the things that are around it. And so these two analogies are really good for us because they help point out the way that we need to be for others. How do we affect the situations around us? Because when someone is light, like Jesus himself says in John chapter 8, uh, verse 12, I believe, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And in John 1, you know, it says, the, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And the light, that Word is the light who came to shed light on the human race, to shed light on the darkness so that we would not be overcome by it. And then later on in the Bible, you used to live in darkness, now live as children of the light. I think that's in Ephesians. And so all of this, this invitation to be that light as Jesus was the light to affect the situations we go into. And didn't Jesus do that? When he goes in these situations, things that need light become brighter. People who are ready, who need that light shined on them. But people who are clinging to the darkness, they respond to the light as if you've just come out of a dark room and you look at the sun. You're like, no, get out of here. Go away. That hurts. That's too painful. And they rebuke Jesus. And the same thing is true of us. If we're really authentically living the Christian life, it will demand some kind of response from those around us. Again, not for our glory, but for the glory of God. People will see there's something different in us and about us. And so light affects our environment. We have the ability, if we're really living the Christian life, to affect the environment and the people around us and bring light, shed light and the light of Christ into their lives or expose where there is darkness. And the same thing is true with salt. If we are the salt of the earth, then we can go into these different metaf metaphorical dishes of people's lives and enhance the good that is there or shed light on the fact that there is something wrong with the recipe of these people's lives, or this environment, or this situation. 
It's not about us conforming to the places where we go. It's about bringing the light of God, bringing the ability that salt has to enhance the flavor of a situation, bringing that and boldly standing by it and not compromising. And that will affect, either for good or for bad, the people around us, the environments we see ourselves going into. Yes, sir. I wanted to go with that light analogy because I think it's really interesting. Um, yeah, because you said like light is nothing without something. Mm -hmm. But like physically, yeah, light doesn't reflect on something. We won't perceive something as something. We won't even see it. So I think it's really cool. It's like like I love to see light as the source of life, you know, just being Jesus. But it's like us as humans, like, you know, it's necessary for us to show like the beauty of God through us. Like we're like the things that are reflecting this light. And without us, we have a very important role. You know, to reflect that light. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't, then you know, no one will see you. Basically. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting in in physics and in, in astrophysics in particular. There's no such thing as darkness. Darkness is just the word we have for the absence of light. You can't measure darkness. We can measure photons and the brightness of light and how it breaks apart in a prism. You can't do that with darkness. And that's why there's so much stuff up there. You know, we can study and observe five percent of the known universe. Everything else we call dark matter and dark energy. And that just means it's absent of light and we don't know what it is. And we don't know how to study it. We don't know how to measure it. Same thing is true of the human heart. There's no such thing as a dark or evil person. There's such thing as a person who has the absence of light in them. And when we possess the light and we allow it to shine forth on a lampstand for others to see, it's not for our glory, but it's to affect those around us and shed light on the places where it has previously been lacking. And that can either bring healing and profound guidance to people's lives or can cause them to recede back into the darkness because it's too painful to look into the light. But it's not our job as Christians to kind of bring the dimmer down and make it a little more comfortable, make it easier for us to bring our Christianity into these situations. No, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Remember what he says right before this? What we, had, what we ended with last week? Blessed are they when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. Thus they persecuted the prophets who were before you. How did they persecute them? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Don't be anything less than that. And you will affect the situations. And then you will begin to see how people respond, for good and for bad. But it doesn't mean that we stop. It doesn't mean that we compromise. When I was praying about this passage and reflecting on it, I got so, like, just clearly from the Holy Spirit this, this desire to, to, teach, to say tonight, like if, if you're here in this room and you're a person who, whether it's in your faith or a decision that you're about to make, something going on in your life, if you need a push, like if you're on that, you know, wondering what does it take, like what, am, what do I need to do? And you're on this kind of precipice of like, okay, you need to make a decision, you need to act, you need to do something. I felt so clearly like the Holy Spirit saying like, just, you, just do it. Stop waiting, stop making excuses. Stop waiting for the right moment or for the perfect plan from God to fall in your laps. You have all the assurances that it's going to work out. Do it. Dive in. Act. Be salt. Be light. Do not wait. Make the changes you need to make in your life. Do the things that you know need to be done because they're not going to happen for you. Food will not just suddenly flavor itself. Darkness will suddenly not just like go away and things will become brighter. No, salt and light need to be entered into that scenario, into that situation. There needs to be an action that's always oriented toward 
service outside of itself. Again, salt can't do anything for itself. Light can't do anything for itself. It's always for the other. But it needs to be acted upon. It needs to be, that light needs to be lit. That salt needs to be seasoned. And so whatever that is in your life and in mine, I feel like the Holy Spirit tonight and throughout the course of this week praying about this Bible study, just a clear indication that even if it's just for one person here, the Holy Spirit telling you like, go, do it. Whatever it is, that thing that's been weighing on you or that you've been on the fence about or that you're wondering like, when is life going to be different? You know, just pull up, you know, whatever you need to do. I don't know what it is. I can't be any more specific than that, but it just was so clear to me. Like now's the time. Don't wait any longer. Do it. Do it. Yes. I just thought about when you were talking about light and the fact that like, there's a lot of kinds of light that we don't see, like that we yeah. cannot like even perceive. Like, and then other animals too can't see light that we do. We can't see certain kind of lights that mm-hmm. they do. Um, and I always thought that that was an interesting fact that God made a world and a universe where there are colors that we don't have the capacity to see. A lot of them mm-hmm. we couldn't even describe. Yeah, I mean, how do you describe a blind person what yellow is, right? Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, you just have to see it. But, like, I think, like, I don't know. I just thought about how, like, be, how it applies if we're using it as a simile for God's grace. I often get frustrated with how I feel like I can't see what God is doing in my life. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just, like, ref- like navel-gazing and just thinking over and over, like, when is this going to move or when am I going to become? And of course, you know, there is an element of acting, but it's like, why am I not seeing these changes that are happening? Or mm. I feel too distracted when I pray and I wonder what that's doing. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was powerful because I thought of like, there's, I mean, we're so limited in our eyesight as human beings. Our eyesight's actually not that good in many ways mm-hmm. compared to other animals. So I don't know, it's just kind of an assurance that I actually kind of like the fact that there's a lot of things I can't see. Yeah. I guess. It's yeah. too complicated to think about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For sure. I agree. Yeah, Chris. You know, when I, when I heard the passage and read it, you know, uh, what resonated with me was um, like an identity thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like salt's not trying to be pepper and light's not trying to be dark. Yeah. You know, and so it's like, I feel like that's what Jesus is trying to tell us. It's like, know who you are. In, in God, like, see how God sees you, and allow the Holy Spirit to kind of go through that. Because the Holy Spirit's not afraid of the devil. Yeah. So stand up against them. Yeah. You know, don't hide in a, in a box. You know, get out there and yeah. start coming to Jesus. Oh, yeah. yeah. And how often we do. How often we have that light of faith within us, and we just we get in situations where it's uncomfortable. You know, you're, you know, you might be the only person who believes this about this certain issue or about the world in the room and just like, all right, where's my, uh, where's my handy dandy bushel basket right now when I need it? And all right, I'm just going to wait until this is over and then I'll go live my faith after, you know, and it's hard. It's hard. We can't just turn it on when it's going to be easy and successful and when everyone in the room is going to agree with us or when we think it's a, an easier conversation to have. Because sometimes you're going to have the conversation and you're still going to be painted like the, the person who's wrong or the person who doesn't know what they're talking about or the person who is, you know, um, too stuck in the past or is evil. You know, people will still paint you that way, even if you're speaking truth, even if you make a good argument, even if you know you're right in all your convictions. 
That will still happen. But your reward will be great in heaven. That's the goal. And always keeping that in mind. Like the thing about salt and light is that they, how do I say this? They, um, they make everything around them more itself. Okay, so like light makes everything more visible to, to see what it actually is. Salt makes everything taste more like it is. So when we're authentically living out the gospel. We're making the people around us, we're making the world more as it should be. We're bringing that like pre-fall nature back out in people and in ourselves. We're making it more of itself. And so we have to allow that to happen in us to allow God to make us more of ourselves, not try and be someone or something that we're not. And when we do that, we live authentically faith in such a way that we exude joy and other people want to see what that is. They want to have what that is and it affects them and they want to be more of themselves. They want to be more who they truly are. You've probably had an experience like this where you've been like in a conversation or in an environment where you've just been like 100% seen like totally comfortable in your skin because of the people you were with. Like they made you just feel like you could be exactly who you were. You didn't have to apologize or pretend to be somebody else. I hope you've had a situation like that. Maybe it was a long time ago. But like that, that's really what we're, we're aiming for here. Every single day living like that in a way that's rooted in the Lord. Not the type of like, well, I'm going to be whoever I want to be and I don't care who I you know hurt on the way there and I can be a garbage person if I want to. Not that kind of unapologetic living, but rooted in the Lord, because in that we become more of who we were created to be. And the ripple effect goes out when other people are affected to be more of who they were created to be. That's what salt does. That's what light does. It illuminates. It makes everything more itself, more visible, more enhanced, more flavorful. Now, is that the type of person that people would describe you as? You know, you're having a gathering. Someone's saying, oh, Matt's coming. And is the first thought in people's mind, oh, yeah, this is going to get more flavorful and more light up in here. Or is the first thought that's coming like, okay, uh, do we have to hide some stuff? It's going to be really dry and boring. Like, why'd you invite him? You know, like, you know what? And not that, not that it matters how sociable you are, but like the, the perception that others have of us, is it something that aligns with being a disciple of Jesus Christ? I think it's an important thing to, to ask. Am I being salt? Am I being light in these different situations? Yeah. I think that's why it's so important to testimony. Because you can't deny that. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The importance of knowing your testimony. You know, in these situations, it can be very difficult to feel like, okay, I, I have, do I have to have all the answers? People ask me questions like, am I going to have the right thing to say? Am I going to lead them astray? Am I going to offend them? But sometimes when people are like, well, why are you Catholic? Why do you believe all this stuff? And instead of going into all the doctrines and all the dogmas and all of the history and all of the misconceptions they may have to say, well, here's why I am. Here's what Jesus has done in my life. And the beautiful thing about that is it's, it's unrefutable. It's my story. It's what I've experienced from God. You can't argue with it. Something that happened to me and how it's affected my life. You know, so it's important for before we are formed and we're, you know, learning more of these things and trying to have good answers to people's questions or their concerns. Have we first sat down and really thought about what has Jesus done in my life and how can I share that with other people? Yeah, Mike. Uh, yeah, when I, you know, think about the writing of Saul, 
I, I, I'm not thinking so much about myself. Mm -hmm. Is how what I do is impacting other people. Mm -hmm. Right? It's like I, I, I believe that God depends on us to bring other people to Him. And so we are, we're being on that light that doesn't shine to make ourselves look good, but to enable them to be saved. Mm. And, there, and there's a domino effect that happens. So I, I think he's looking for all of us to reach out to everybody. Mm -hmm. To be hermits, not just to do it, but to reach out to other people, show them that light, yeah. give them that salt, and hopefully they'll change and they'll turn around and do the same thing. Yeah, I mean it's it's parenting basically, right? It's yeah, as a parent, you could do everything for your children. Like God doesn't need us to do it; He could do it Himself. But when you do that to a child, when they grow up, what happens? They're not capable of doing anything for themselves. They're not independent. They're not autonomous. They're not sure of themselves. They don't know who they are apart from their their parents. They have no sense of identity. They're trying to be everything that they're not, or afraid to be anything at all. And so God allows us and invites us on this journey to bring others to him. And it allows us to become part of it, to be who we were really created to be. And then that has a ripple effect to our children's children and their children. And spiritually speaking, you know, to the people around us. But everyone has to make that decision. You know, they say there's no such thing as spiritual grandparents. Everyone has to come to the point where they look at God and decide, is he going to be my father or not? And you cannot inherit that relationship from anyone else and be like, well, so-and-so saw that person as God the Father, and I just really like them. And so I'm their spiritual you know, child, and so God's my grandparent or something. No, like that, that spiritual, seeing God as a spiritual grandparent doesn't exist. We all have to make that decision, whether or not he is father and we are his children. But that comes through the example and the invitation of other people. Chrissy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's Jesus who says in, in John 4, like, you know, if you knew who was telling you, who was here speaking to you, you would ask him for living water. You know, he is the source of that living water. When we thirst, when that salt is part of us, and we have that, that desire for even more, he's the one who quenches it. And it's just, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny because I saw this episode of uh, Chosen today. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you think that when people give these sermons to these thousands of people, did anybody ask any questions? Did he say, Rabbi, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Do you think that happened? No, yeah, they do all throughout Scripture. You know, they ask him constantly. They test him. They ask him which one of the commandments is the greatest. What do you mean by this? Oh, yeah, the disciples, too, you know. They, I think there's one of the parables. It might be the parable of the sower where they pull him aside and they're like, what does that mean? And he explains it to them, you know. But he tells why he speaks in parables and why he's revealing the teachings to them because of their particular role. But, yeah. You know, a, a lot of this was just like right over people's heads. But they knew in it was something of substance. You know, it goes back to that Jesus was truly being light and salt, even though they couldn't com completely identify what was going on and maybe exactly understand what he was saying. 
We have the benefit of hindsight in the Bible and 2,000 years of tradition to help us. They were right there when it was happening, trying to figure out how do all these preconceived notions we had about the Messiah jive with this person. And yet they knew there was something about him. They knew there was something about him. That's that quality of being salt, of being light. Do we affect the world, our families, our friends, our schools, our jobs in that way? Are we people that others want to be around? Not that our goal is to be sociable, but because there's something so attractive about the way that we live. Not for our sake, but because we want other people to know the Lord. And if we want other people to know the Lord, that means we have to have desired to know him to a point where he has really, truly transformed our lives. And I think this gets back to a constant struggle in the Christian life, which is that a lot of us are raised in the church and we learn a lot about Jesus and we end up getting to a place where we're very mature in our knowledge and we know a lot about Jesus, but we don't know Jesus. We've never met him in relationship in an intimate encounter in such a way that there is this back and forth relationship and this quality that changes us in the same way a really good friendship or relationship changes the way we live. And so it's the difference between being a stalker and actually being in a relationship with a person. Because I can learn a whole lot about anyone I want to, and they don't have any idea that I'm there. <laughs> I can go through their trash. I can hang out in their yard and peek through their windows. Not that I'm doing this, obviously, but, you know. And a lot of us do that to Jesus, right? We look at all the stuff that he said. We hear a lot about him. We ask other people about him. Like, do you know what it is about that guy that lives over there? But have we ever gone and introduced ourselves, spent time with him, really allowed that relationship to blossom and develop and change us? Or are we just creeping on the curb, you know, learning as much as we can and thinking that's going to be enough? Because it won't be. It won't be. Creeping on the curb. There's something there, like some, a podcast or something, some YouTube channel. Creeping on the curb. Yes. use the word freedom me. The word that stood out to me was good. Does that in any way allude to Genesis? It can. Yeah, in the beginning, after every day of creation, he saw that it was good. You know, when things were rightly ordered. In fact, when you were sharing about the different colors that we can't see, I was thinking about, I wonder if we could see them before the fall. Like before sin entered the world, when we were perfected, when we had this kind of divine nature to us that was uncorrupted by sin, I wonder if we could see them. You know, I wonder if we could see them. You know, like, wow, I can see sour. Or like, you know, crazy stuff like that that we don't even think about when we get to heaven. Like, you know, like, oh man, the sound of a guitar tastes so good. You know, like, or the, the weird ways that our senses will be enhanced that we don't even, like, understand. It will be, like, so mind-blowing. You know? Yeah? Uh, I'm not sure um, who was like, for this, but I heard uh, once the soul from the ancient world was asked to preserve this. Yes. So in this sense, it could also be, like, preserved... Yeah, it preserves meat. It was usually used to preserve meat or other foods uh, to make it last longer. Um, and I think I, what's interesting here is what you reminded me of is this passage that was pointed out at the very beginning uh, by Rick is that uh, if salt loses its taste, with what can it be seasoned? Can salt lose its taste? No, it can't. Only if it becomes impurified in some way, mixed with other things. 
So remember, Jesus is speaking here to a people who know the Sea of Galilee, the River Jordan, and the Dead Sea, the most salt-infested you know, body of water on the planet. You can lay in it and float without holding your breath because there's so much salt in it. And yet, if you were to take salt from the sea, you would not be able to preserve or cook with it because it's impurified. It's been mixed with things that it should not have been mixed with. Great example of this, and we've been to the Salton Sea in California, called uh, one of the, I think, the most uh, or greatest ecological disaster in California history. Anyone ever been there before? So it's, you know, runoff uh, from the Colorado River in like, I think, the, the, the 50s. Um, and this would happen over time for a lot of time, but it happened in a big way uh, some, somewhere around the 1950s. And it created this huge, like, 15-mile uh, lake called the, or a sea called the Salton Sea in, like, the Riverside County high desert area. And it became this huge tourist attraction. Like, there were resorts opened up in the 60s. People were going there. And because of all the silt and the runoff, like, the natural salinity, the salt from the earth started to uh, get in the, in the sea. And people could, and, you know, the, all the health benefits from salt water and laying in it and all of that became this huge fad. And so um, in the 70s, then the, the state started to warn people, like, this is... The, the water is being used. They were uh, using it for irrigation, for farming in that area. And there was like certain ecological factors that were starting to come up. Birds were starting to die of avian flu. Whole fish populations in the sea couldn't survive in that habitat. So they were dying left and right. And it slowly became this, now it is like a, a horrid deathscape. Like it looks like they filmed Walking Dead there. Like there's signs everywhere. There were toxic dust storms like 20, 30 years ago in the area. You couldn't even be in the area because of how toxic it got. All because the salt content had mixed with the impurities in the water and it had made it uninhabitable. And you can even see like petrified birds who had landed near the water and got stuck in the toxic wind and just like froze to death in toxic particles. So it just looks like this like really bizarre post-apocalyptic place. And it's just like a random dead lake in the middle of California. Uh, and you know, that is a very good image and analogy for the risk that we incur when we allow that saltiness we've been given by God to be mixed with things that are impure. Remember what Jesus says before this in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the pure of heart, for they will see God. But if salt loses its taste, if it becomes impure, if it becomes mixed with things it shouldn't be, it is no longer good for anything. Jesus is warning us here and reminding us that when you answer this calling to be a disciple, that comes with a responsibility. And if you begin to still have these attachments to darkness or you begin to scandalize others or harbor attachments to sin and to vices, that is going to ultimately lead to destruction to where you are not enhancing the environments you go into, but you can literally become toxic to yourself and the people around you. We have a profound ability to affect other people for good and for bad. And I think that's something that we don't think about enough. I think I've shared this at Bible study, but I recently, over the past several months, now, I have a constant prayer list that I'm, you know, maintaining and updating and praying for people and things like that. But I just felt called by the Lord like a few months ago. I kept, the Holy Spirit kept reminding me of what I consider the worst thing that I've ever done in my life. And I'm not going to tell you what it was or who I did it to, but uh, it was terrible. And it was many, many, many years ago. And the Holy Spirit kept reminding me of this person. And I was like, I don't even know where this person is, how to find them. I've tried, you know, tried to make them. I have no clue where they are. And I just felt inspired by the Holy Spirit to just make a list of all of these types of people 
from my past, people who I know I've hurt, I used or manipulated in some way, people, most people from my life before I was, had anything to do with the Lord, but even some after who I, there were misunderstandings, I hurt in the context of ministry or whatever it might be. And this list, I start going through old yearbooks from high school, um, some of which my wife is in too. There's great pictures of her in, in those yearbooks too. Um, yes, so I won't, I won't show them to you or tell you uh, what embarrassing things she's wearing in those pictures, but um, yeah, they're great. So, I mean, mine aren't that much better, but uh, I don't embarrass as easily as she does. So, uh, but I was going through these old names of people and it was just like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot about this person. I totally forgot about that situation. And now on this list, there's probably, and maybe I've been not very generous to myself, but there's probably 75 or 80 names on this list. And it's just been a, a constant source of my prayer that when I'm fasting, when I'm exercising, when I'm offering any kind or experiencing any kind of suffering, that I can offer it for the people on this list so that they'll find healing, that they'll find faith, that they'll experience a conversion. Even if it was just a single moment or something I said to them one time that they may have not even remembered or totally forgotten, they're on that list so that I can pray for them, because I recognize not only can I enhance those around us, I can become toxic to those around me just as easily. And we all bear that same responsibility. We all have those experiences. And how often do we think about that? I was listening to someone today, like on a podcast, and he was saying, um, you know, we all know we're sinners, right? How many of you know here know you're a sinner? You know, it's not news to you, right? But let me tell you, it's so much worse than you think. Like, that's what he said. It's like, it's so much worse than you. Like, if God really revealed to you, like, how bad it really is, like, you would cripple and fall to the floor. But his mercy prevents that, and his forgiveness allows you to see beyond that. But it is so, 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 so bad. And yet, he is so, so good and merciful and loving and forgiving to come and die for us, even though we had done all of those things, even though that list of names is probably still missing many people. People I may have not even realized or known existed or that I had hurt or that I had looked past or that I had brushed aside. And yet, God still chooses to use us, to work in and through us. And so in praying and reflecting on that list, like I don't know how long I'll do that or if I'll eventually feel called by the Holy Spirit to start crossing names off or whatever it is, but it just reminded me like, when I enter a room, like, I'm, I, I have to look at myself and recognize, like, I'm probably the biggest sinner here. And whether that's true or not, it allows me to recognize, like, the bad news is so, so bad, y'all. But the good news is so good. And you can't understand how good the good news is until you understand how bad the bad news is. We all know we're sinners, but it is so much worse than we realize. And God is so much greater than we know, too so much greater. And so we can constantly be humbled by the fact that he is calling us to be salt, to be light, even for all of the times we've been impurified salt and darkness in the world. He still is working in us and through us, and the great gift that is, so that we can do these good works, not for our own glory. Because there are probably a whole lot of people out there that if I start doing, doing good works for my past, they're like, really, that guy? I'm not going to be the one that's glorified. They know what I did. They know how I hurt them but they'll see something different in me and say, there's got to be something else, because that sure is not Matt, the same guy who did that or said that. That's got to be God. That's why we glorify him. That's why we do these things, because it's not about us. It's about the Lord. I feel like I rambled a lot there, but I hope that meant something to you. Yes, Lynn. Um, I think because we were some of the people on the list. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> the 
Thank you. Praise the Lord. I appreciate that. And it wasn't a pity party, me sharing that with you. I'm like, I'm totally fine with it. So thank you. I don't need that, but I appreciate it. <laughs> but thank you. I appreciate it. Other uh, thoughts, words, things that stood out to you, questions you have? Yes, sir. The one thing, because you said, think of, like, let an image come to your work and you the first time you read it. Mm -hmm. And I was reminded of how this doesn't really happen anymore because we actually have, like, rules of war that we follow, which is a funny thing to even think about. Mm -hmm. It's just like, oh, here's the, like, guidelines. You know, but, uh, that, like, like, salt used to be used to, like, destroy entire, like, cities, civilizations. They would just throw mm -hmm. it on the fields, and it's like, well, you can't farm anything, you're all going to starve, and you're over. Yes. Your culture is gone. And I think there's something to be said about, I guess, the violent episodes and imagery language uh, throughout Scripture not in a gratuitous sense that we should just become violent, malicious people. Of sure. course not. Um, and not even in the sense that we should use it as an excuse to get angry with people or to be bitter with them. Mm -hmm. um, but in the sense that, I guess like the, I guess allegorical sense that of the violence we should apply to ourselves in our <coughs> spiritual life in the sense that like, who you used to be is completely annihilated. There is no chance of that even coming back. Like every field like that was new, it's like it's just like a foot of snow, it looks like. And mm -hmm. I think that like because I used to be confused about like, you know, the old testament versus a new one, like why, you know, like what gives? Yeah. You know? and, and I still kind of am, but I'm wondering if that's what God's trying to get at. Mm. In the sense that, like, it should show you at first how crazy and violent things can be, and then how you can do that in a good way to yourself. Yeah, I like. There's there's another verse that's interpreted many ways, but it's about um, you know the those who are violent in the kingdom of God and are taking heaven by storm. I don't know if you've heard that verse. I think it's in the Gospel of Luke. It's very obscure. People interpret it in different ways. But some of the interpretations I like are kind of having that violence toward evil and sin in your life. Not in a hateful or vengeful way, but like being so like, nope, not going to happen. Like totally unapologetic, cut it off. Like that's what it says later. We're going to read this next week where it says if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Like that violence towards sin. And of course, Jesus isn't speaking literally here, but he's talking about like the complete unabashed boldness we have to have for the gospel. I will say about, you know, some of the themes in the Bible, we can't get into all of them and all the reasons why they're there and, and why people write things and attribute them to God when they may obviously not have been done by God. Um, just because the Bible records something doesn't mean it approves of it. Yeah. That's a general rule when you're reading scripture. Just because the Bible records something doesn't mean it approves of it. Okay, the Bible is a historical text in a historical context. A lot of these people were just writing what happened. But because it's also a sacred text imbued by with truth from the Holy Spirit and is without error, it doesn't mean that all of the morality and immorality in it is approved simply because it's in the Bible. But I will say the point you made about you know salt being used in ways to like devour crops or like completely decimate um, you know certain habitats or places in the environment in warfare, there is very easily too, such thing as too much salt and too much light. 
And we have to make sure that we are not risking getting into, uh, crossing that line, being too much salt, being too much light, getting to the point where we are aggressive, hurting other people, being condescending, presenting the gospel in such a way that it is being hammered into people's lives, into their ears, down their throats, etc. But that doesn't change the fact that Jesus says you are salt. He doesn't say you will be. He says you are now. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And so pay attention to how those things, both of which they would have been very familiar with, light and salt, and not artificial light like we have. it. They didn't have light bulbs. They had lamps in their homes that were wax bowls with wicks, and they had the sun. And then salt, which was used in seasoning for preserving food, or sometimes even in medicine, had all these multiple uses, both of which would have probably, if they lacked either or both of them especially, would have probably decimated their entire population. Because they wouldn't have been able to have food long-term. They wouldn't have been able to have all that they have in the light and all of the benefit that we have health-wise from the light, and etc. But there can be too much. And so it's about navigating that line. But I think so many of us in a world that glorifies tolerance and agreement and everyone being kind and nice to everyone, looking something like everyone has to approve of everyone's lifestyle and choices, that instead of us risking being too much, we're risking being not enough. And if you're not enough light, you still can't really see. And if there's not enough salt in the dish, it really doesn't make a difference. It still tastes bland. It still tastes like it has no flavor. So it's about learning that, recognizing God is calling us, all of us, to be those things. Are we? And so if you're on the fence, just as the Holy Spirit was speaking to me this week, if you're on the fence about something, especially in your spiritual life, not just a decision and like I get the sense that maybe some of it is, you know, a life change, a financial decision, a move, a job, something like that. But there is, I think there's a clear indication from the Holy Spirit that there is a, there's a lot of spiritual fence sitting that's wrestling in our hearts. And I don't mean that in an accusatory way. I mean like the Holy Spirit really convicting us to recognize like when do I need to just get off this fence and act in such a way that I can be the salt and the light that the Lord is calling me to be. To stop making excuses, to stop apologizing for myself in advance but to do what needs to be done to root sin and vice and evil and darkness out of my life so that I can be a light to others. Let's pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of this evening. Holy Spirit, thank you for what I felt was kind of like a roller coaster tonight. So whatever you were doing, I hope it was of value to the people here. And I pray, Lord, that you continue to illuminate us with the wisdom and the words of this passage as we pray through it, as we anticipate hearing it again this Sunday. We pray that it hits us and we receive it in new ways each time we look at it over the course of this next week. And above all, you help us to answer the challenge and the call to be salt, to be light, to not sit on the fence, to act, to do what you are calling us to do so that we can be who you've created us to be, so that we can make everything and everyone around us more itself. Thank you, Jesus. We pray all of this in your most precious name. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much.